Hello, welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. Uh, my name is Dan Martin, I'm a special effects artist, and I am joined, uh, as ever, by my forever co-host. Sam Ashurst, and I'm uh, a writer, a director, and uh, currently in the edit on my first feature, um, which will explain why I sound a bit more tired than usual this week. <laughs> What's your excuse, Dan? Oh, three features that all happened at once. <laughs> <laughs> Not to mention some other bits and bobs. Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, you know, being busy is a good problem to have. I feel like Absolutely. such a such a prick complaining about having not enough time to do the other things I love. <laughs> yeah, well, um, it, luckily it, it won't matter as much that we're, we're tired this week because we're going to be talking about one of the greatest films of all time, which yes. should give us a bit of pep. Um, Clive Barker's Hellraiser. Yes. So, Dan, how do you feel about Hellraiser? Well, I mean, it's uh, it's a favourite. It's a very it was a very early um, horror film for me in my in my watches. Uh, I've seen it many many times over the years. Uh, I it was lovely to go back to it and see. You know, it's one of those ones where because it wasn't uncut the first time I saw it, it's kind of every. Every now and then you get to see another version, there's a little bit more or there's a little different version. And I think that this is very much a thank you Blu-ray moment. Like the I've got the Scarlet box set, which I, I bought, you know, sometime before we did this. Mm. And dipping back into that. It, it's just so such a beautiful print. It's getting to see everything, all of images stuff. Sometimes there's a there's a couple of little bits where you're like, I'm not sure we were meant to see that. <laughs> but 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 I also uh, I'd rather they did that than I don't want them to digitally remove stuff. Like when you clean the grain off the image, particularly with the the sort of the weird pink demon thing that runs down the hallway, you can now see the gurney that's supporting it if you if you squint. Yeah, and the guy and the guy behind. I mean, yeah, the legs. I, I mean, it, it's still. Um, I, it's not like it's a, a crystal clear restoration. It's not. Um, what I kind of admire about it is that they have left some of the sort of, not even grain, like the, the fuzz um, uh, on, on well, the yeah, image. Yeah, I, I think that's, yeah, that's part of how it was shot, yeah. rather than damage. They've yeah. got rid of all the damage, and it's as crisp as it was ever going to be without starting to bugger about with digital noise reduction, and which I'm very glad they haven't done. Yeah. Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a thank you Blu-ray moment, which we haven't done for absolutely ages. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, it's probably quite self-explanatory but if you want to go back and listen to the first episode we explain in depth what we mean by thank you blu-ray <laughs> um but i noticed something which you might have noticed before dan so i'm going to ask you what you think i'm talking about here but in the the first shot um where we see like the wooden columns and the, the chains and the, and the offal what do you think i spotted this the pillar the around? rotating pillar yeah um I don't know. I don't know what you what you saw. I don't know what you hadn't seen. Uh, I don't know if it's rotating pillar. You know the columns of wood with the chains hanging down. In the, the first glimpse. In the in the like right in the sort of opening scene before exactly, yeah. before we see the basically the, the where we see the sort of jigsaw Frank. Um, yeah, the the face, the the, yeah, the yeah. wax face. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did you see? Was it something on the column? Yeah. Uh, what have we seen? There's. I'm trying to remember. I might. Interestingly, my memory of the column, because although I I've seen Hellraiser and slightly less regularly Hellraiser two an enormous number of times, mm. the first one I owned on VHS mm -hmm. was Hellraiser three, which I had when I was at school, mm. uh, and we would watch really regularly. And the mm. the 
the column in Hellraiser 3, because that's the thing that's procured, yes. is very much more designed, yes. and it has Pinhead's face on it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so that's weirdly, that's one of the few bits of Hellraiser 3, which I think is a quite vastly uh, inferior movie to the, the other two. I think Clive's very much on board with that opinion. Weirdly, the design of the column for from 3 has always sort of been the column I remember. And no. so whenever I, every time, no matter how many times I watch Hellraiser, when I see that very boxy column with just some nails and mm-hmm. bits of skull on it, mm-hmm. um, it, that's the only bit where I feel a bit, oh, I wish that was a bit more designed. <laughs> yeah, well, um, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting because, you know, obviously in that sequence they're using real offal from yeah. the local abattoir and so it's not really that designed in, no. in those terms and i know that dan very much doesn't approve of, of, of that um neither do i really i i, I will uh, not name this filmmaker but um a friend of mine when i was talking about you know the budget for prosthetics and, and all the rest of it uh, for a film i was putting together said to me oh you know why don't you just go down the butchers and um throw some meat around and i was like mm, <laughs> no <laughs> not a monster <laughs> not a monster so um but i, I should finish that thread of my thank you blu-ray moment what i saw on those columns this time was two big dicks oh yeah <laughs> very um very much um reminiscent of the um the salome short the Clive Barker salome short mm. a lot of dicks yeah. <laughs> um and also i should mention at this point that we are specifically talking about hellraiser um this time um we're not going to mention the other movies but not go in depth on them um this isn't an overall review of the box set um because at some point i think it might be nice to do hellraiser 2 and hellraiser 3 as their own specific episodes i'm brainstorming this yeah no uh, i'm I'm up for that i think there's a lot there's a lot of other stuff there's a lot of stuff i put ahead of hellraiser 3 Mm. And I think just I would like to do Hellraiser. I'd like to do Hellraiser three. Um, Partly because you know I'm in a similar space to Dan in that there was a stage where I'd seen that one far more times than the other two, Um, but also the the extras on that release or or that instalment are just as good as as the extras on the other two and. You know, there's a commentary, oh, great, there's yeah. a commentary on there and stuff. So I think we could have quite a lot of fun yeah. going in depth on that one. So, you know, but it, maybe not in the immediate future, but but we'll get to it eventually. Yeah. So I was struck this time um, revisiting Hellraiser by again how sort of visual it is. Um, for example, uh, I, I noticed this time, I don't know why I've never noticed this before, but, you know, part of that sort of early montage, there's a uh, an ornament of, of two people fucking, um, which... Oh, Frank, the ivory, yeah, Frank's ivory fetish, yeah. It, yeah, exactly. And um, there's a, a cockroach that kind of scuttles beside mm. it. And that's a lovely visual metaphor for, you know, the whole film, really. Writhing around in filth. Yeah, <laughs> and with, you know, uh, this sort of slightly scary weird demonic thing encroaching on you know Sex. fucking <laughs> yeah yeah no it's it's beautiful and it's it's obviously a very considered film uh, it's um despite the comparatively low budget they mm. you know clive seemed to have been able to 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 carry a lot of his his intent through to the screen and it's really it's it's just fucking great all the way through it's great yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the budget. Um, obviously, they they didn't have a, a second unit crew on the film, so yeah. um, 
all, all of those sort of cutaways and stuff, they're all filmed by Clive and, and his team. So, you know, he talks a bit on the commentary about how um, they had to sit for quite a long time watching maggots writhe, waiting yeah. for the cockroach yeah, yeah, to yeah. sort of pop out. Um, and there's a lovely line where he says that they shot quite a lot of footage of, of rats, um, but they only used like, you know, two or three brief images um, because according to Clive, it's very difficult to scare a rat, apparently. <laughs> so that's a fact you'll get from the commentary. It's interesting. I just did a, I just uh, helped out on a, on a short film which had trained foxes in it. Oh, yeah. Um, and by trained foxes, I mean foxes that won't bite you. Uh, it's very hard to actually train a fox, it turns out. <laughs> um, but yeah, anything like that, non-domestic animals being got made to do things in, in camera is always a problem. But the idea that the entire first unit has to stand by waiting for these animals to do their stuff or for a big wax frank to melt in slow-mo. In Which did, didn't quite reversed. work. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, well, I was thinking of the, the reforming. Oh, I see. The, yeah, the yeah. chrysalis frank. Yeah. yeah. Um, which works beautifully. Oh, that's incredible. That's the other thing that astonishes me is just how the hell they managed to make this work on the budget. Like the, yeah. the team they must have needed to make this work um, and paying those team. The Yeah, I mean, it's it's it was a small film and they've really done some amazing stuff. Some of the, some of the effects nowadays are a little dated, but some of them are still genuinely wonderful. Mm, yeah, I think, I can't remember what, what it was. Uh, section of the extras it is it might be in the EPK actually there's a really nice um, five minute um, electronic press kit featurette um, on the disc which you know you might miss because it just says you know EPK but um, I'd recommend watching it it's really sort of quite even though it's a marketing tool it's quite honest and quite funny um, but uh, Bob Keane I think it's on that one is talking about how um, it, it, it his crew worked as a democracy so it wasn't that he was you know telling everyone what to do everyone came with their ideas and I think when you work in that way um, certainly on low budget stuff um, you get people going the extra mile and, oh absolutely because they're more invested in it they're more invested exactly they, they did a similar thing on Nightbreed as well where everyone right. got their own monster oh right yeah uh, nice. so those yeah. massive crowd scenes were born out of uh, Bob and the image image animation team mm. just sort of yeah democratizing the design process which is just fantastic and but it also means you don't have such a consistent aesthetic across them they're all unique and it's really there's some really great stuff you yeah. just put the bad ones at the back yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm just a bit obsessed with uh, Nightbreed I collect sort of Nightbreed stuff, stuff. Um, yeah it's an amazing film and we I may talk more about that in my recommendations but we're on Hellraiser for the time being and yeah, uh, you mentioned the the sort of resurrection scene, mm. um, which is an incredible set piece of special effects. Yeah, it's a it's a basically a class in right in that, between that and the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. If you want to do melting scenes, there's your there's your guidebook. Yeah, and um, it was another thing that struck me watching it this time. Uh, another lovely visual thing that I'd never noticed before. Um, we cut from the resurrection scene, obviously, to the, the dinner table, the mm. dinner party. And um, in the centre of the dinner table, uh, there's a rack of ribs um, sort of standing up. Mm. that has been completely stripped of meat. And it's quite subtle, but it's just a lovely connected connection. Yeah. And, and, and this is it. Like, Clive Barker, man. Like, it, it just blows my mind how good this is as 
as a directorial debut. Yeah, he he talks about being worried because he didn't really know what he was doing. Like it was yeah. his first feature. He'd done a couple of shorts, but not a huge amount. He'd been very disenchanted with how his scripts had been adapted up yeah. until this point, and he kind of felt like, well, they're getting it wrong. I need to do it myself. Mm. Um, but I think when confronted with the reality of it, when getting on set and being like, oh fuck, I'm actually in charge of this one. This but, is down to me now. But it kind of, I mean, it's it's one of the these films that will hopefully slightly dismiss the illusion of um, the director as this all-seeing being that, you know, obviously Clive has an incredible eye, incredible imagination, but he was surrounded by an amazing team. Yeah, absolutely. And so you're right. There was a moment where he stood on set and said, you know, I, 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 I'm directing this film and I have literally no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> but, you know, as long as you've got a great team around you, um, you know, obviously the director can't be incompetent because the director has to be a good leader and a good collaborator. Um, but I do think there's a sense that if you do have the right people around you, you can be guided to a masterpiece as it turns Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the 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 expression I've used to describe it is that the director is the antenna through which all of the ideas are received. Mm. Taking the skills and experience of the crew around him, the imagination of the crew around him and and filtering through it for the best stuff. I mean obviously he walks onto set with an idea. Yeah. And that's what pre-production is. is exactly, you know, even yeah. if he's not the writer as Clive was, he he's got a, an idea of what he wants. But it's um it's a it's pure hubris to not listen to the suggestions of your collaborators. It will always make stuff better, yeah. always. And, and yeah, I, I mean, for me, yeah, um, it, the simple way I explain it is that, you know, it's the taste of the director, basically, yeah. is what you're saying. that's exactly it. You know, everyone's offering um, their opinions and the director's filtering through it and, and finding the thing that most matches their... Uh, pretentious word alert vision <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah um and and for me hellraiser in terms of what it's about um i think it's one of the best films about toxic relationships that there's ever been um and kind of how memories of the past um can trap people um in toxic relationships how they can kind of think oh well if i just do this right thing then we'll go back to how it was before and yeah. we'll be happy again. Um, so I think people put up with a lot of terrible behaviour because they think, well, that person was nice once, I was happy once. Um, yeah. And, you know, Clive doesn't necessarily agree with that interpretation. Um, he believes the subtext of the film is what a woman will do for a good fuck. Wasn't that, <laughs> which a, was, that was a suggested name <laughs> by, by a crew member? It, like, and, oh, and, fuck, yeah, that's kind of what we've done. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, apparently, yeah, there was a period where um, the uh, investors and producers didn't necessarily want to call it Hellraiser. Um, I'm glad they stuck with yeah, that Yeah, it's a great title. name. Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff around um, the sort of behind the scenes of this film. Like, I'm sure you know about um, the insertion of, of the American accent, which is, yeah. which is weird. I I didn't know about that at the beginning. Like, when I first watched it, I didn't notice. Yeah. I, I, I kind of did. It always felt a bit off. Like, Frank's voice always felt but that a bit... But that just sounds like ADR, though. Yeah, like yeah. Like, additional dialogue recording. But for the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but you know, look at the Italian stuff that we watch, you know, where they're shooting... They shoot without seeing sound at all. The whole thing is ADR'd. So even, even the English language people are dubbed. Oh, so yeah. So there's that slight mismatch of dialogue, even if they're doing their own voices. I know, but there at least it's consistent, whereas here it's, it's just, just some occasional characters. people... Yeah. Um, 
and and yeah, um, I mean, it doesn't take anything away from it. I mean, I really must underline that this is one of my all-time favourites. Oh, I think it's just an incredible movie. The greatest films ever made. Like, I still can't quite work out how they did it. <laughs> I was uh, I was about about a week ago. I was visiting a magician friend, and I. I was sat in his lounge chatting about some tricks and he uh I'd I'd seen it before but I'd forgotten it was there but I just rewatched Hellraiser for this for this podcast and he mm. has one of the original lament configurations oh, cool. in a, under a glass dome in yes uh, of course yeah in his in his lounge I've and it's seen this. Oh, it's from number 2 from Hellraiser 2 yeah um it's one of the three from the the doctor's office and it's oh it's just so beautiful peering at it through the glass they're gorgeous um they're gorgeous designs. Mm. Uh, there's interesting stuff on the extras about the logic behind the designs as well. That's worth digging into. Yeah, nice. Yeah, really nice. What I was going to say when you were, when we were talking about what a woman will do for a good fuck and the uh, and the film being about toxic relationships, I like one of the things about the the relationship between Uncle Frank and the mother mm. um, is it's sort of this mix between a grass is always greener kind of attitude, but then also it it plays really well with the into deep like feeling mm-hmm. like she gets involved with Frank again. Like she's, she has to be pretty committed pretty early because it's supernatural mm-hmm. uh, and, and therefore horrifying. But there's that amazing moment when she's in the bathroom covered in blood, having just, mm-hmm. just hammered this man. Mm-hmm. Um, and the camera's where the mirror is. So she's looking right into the barrel of the lens and it's, it's an absolutely amazing moment of performance. Oh the yeah. A little bit, just a little bit of blood on her face and quite a lot on her nightdress. Yeah. Well, it's not a nightdress, is it? It's a slip. It's an under, under yeah, bit, yeah. Of, bit of underwear, but it's, yeah, it's just amazing. And the, the look on her face of her being like, I am very much past the point of no return here. I cannot, I can't get out of this now. I've got to see this through. Yeah. It's just I'm, amazing. I mean, and it, but it's all there. It's all justified by character. Like it, you, it is an extreme dive from a certain point of view, but in in all the flashbacks you kind of see that you know frank has always been this this nasty yeah. you know um how did doug bradley describe him a dirty bastard <laughs> <laughs> um like he is you know he is basically evil nasty he's a bad egg he's a bad egg and so for her it's like you know he's always kind of been that fucked up on the inside so just because you can kind of see the insides on the outside, you know, she's like, hang on a minute, I could get I could get him back. It doesn't really matter, you know, that he looks super gross. Well, I um, think he's going to end up looking like a husband, so... Uh, well, yeah, which is also... Um, Those scenes are so good. Yeah, A I little mean, bit of blood around the hairline and a squelchy sound effect on an eye poke. And, and just um, a brilliant performance from mm. Andrew Robinson. Yeah, and and Julia, uh, played by Claire Higgins, um, she only did this in Hellraiser two in terms of horror movies. Yeah, um, she, I think she more was more of a stage actress. Um, but holy shit! Yeah, she talks about it a little bit in Leviathan, doesn't she? The the, the, oh, the segment right. of Leviathan. Yes, of course. Because yeah, yeah. there's a chunk of Leviathan on yeah. this as an extra feature. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's just an amazing documentary. Yeah, it's so in depth. Yeah, it it is missing. Contributions from Clive, obviously. There's no getting yeah. around that. But um, he does two audio commentaries, so... Exactly. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, you do need to sort of dip into all the extras if you want the complete view. But, yeah, it is. My only criticism of Leviathan is that, man, do those credits go on? <laughs> the opening credits, it's like, all right. Calm <laughs> like, down, guys. 
We get yeah, it. That's what fast forward's for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, another thing that I kind of uh, like about this film that I always kind of assumed but is confirmed by the audio commentary, um, Clive Barker was a massive fan of Argento. Yeah. Um, and specifically his sense of surrealism. So that was a direct influence on Hellraiser, which is nice to have confirmed. Um, and uh, he also loves Tarkovsky and Fellini, as I do. Um, Tarkovsky is probably my favourite director and the way art house films aren't necessarily narrative driven was kind of another influence on this and you know that is one of the things that I most most love about Hellraiser is that it is that mix of art house and grindhouse it yeah. is that you know um, Grouthouse <laughs> that, that sort of weird surreal experimental feel Whilst also having super gross, you know, I, I think well, this, and a, and a this film narrative as well. It's a really well structured story, though. Yeah, oh, like, absolutely. For all that talking about like the non narrative driven art house stuff, Barker is a really good narrative he, former. He is, but I also think that I, I don't think he's saying I don't care about narrative. Let's not care about it at mm. all. It's let's not worry about occasional deviations. Yeah, not being constrained or locked in. Exactly. Yeah, and, and it's the same with Fellini and, and Tarkovsky. I mean, the, those films have wonderful stories, but there's space for the surreal and there's space yeah. for the... So, yeah, I, I, I really love that. And I think this film might have opened... Um, it certainly did, for me, open people's cinematic minds. You know, they came to it expecting like this super gross horror movie, which they got, but they also got elements of, of more sort of mind-expanding concepts and, and shots. and yeah. I just think it's such an amazing film. It's, it's, um, this, <laughs> this is going to sound like I'm putting it down, and I'm very much not, but it's fantastic entry-level what-the-fuckery as yeah, far exactly. as genre yeah, cinema it, goes. This is exactly like what I'm saying. It's got enough actually, narrative yeah. to sit well with a regular audience who are up for horror. This is exactly what I'm saying. It, it's, yeah, a, yeah. It's, a, it's a gateway drug to your exactly. Zalowski's. And your <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I'm not sure... What more I have to say? That's it, really. One. We love um, it. It's great. And, you know, what what a release. I've got a question for you, Sam. Oh, God. Are you looking go. forward to the new one? Um, oh, what, a, what a wonderful <laughs> question. Um, no. No? No. Are you? Um, Are no, you? No. <laughs> <laughs> the trailer looks better than I expected. Right. But I suspect the trailer is going to be better than the film. Yeah, I mean... I, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's an amazing movie. Let's briefly touch on, on some of the sequels that aren't included on this disc. Well, um, I will... I'll say that one of the sequels... I know which one, and I know what you're going to say. Might turn up in my recommendations. This is what I thought you were going to say, and I know which one. Oh, I'd so, be interested if, you, yeah, if it's yeah, the yeah. right one, if you're... So, I, I think one of the great things about this film is that it's also um, almost as well as being a horror film and also like a fairy tale about a wicked stepmother and a, a monster and all the rest of it. Um, it's also kind of like a really fucked up noir um, yeah. where there's, you know, this strong mystery element to it. And that's something that most of the sequels, not all, most of the sequels kind of forgot yeah. um, that there should be a sense of mystery in here. And, you know, it's not just, putting someone in trouble with the Cenobites and having them have to get out of it. You know, there needs to be that yeah. extra sort of B-plot 
Yeah, absolutely. To hold people's interest. Well, so, I think that's yeah. often... Those are the transcendental horrors. Yeah. Not transcendental, transcending. Those are the transcendent horror films. Yeah. Are the ones that go, yeah, we're a horror film, but it's not just about the monster. It's about these characters. It's yeah. about like the, the shit they've got going on as well. The the monsters or the or the killers or whatever are a um are a broad strokes backdrop representing the needs and problem you know and faults of the characters uh and drawing them into extremes mm. testing them mm. uh, and i think that's one of the reasons Hellraiser is so so great is because it does do both of those so deftly mixes mm. them so well absolutely right shall we move into our recommendations based on this film let's do it okay would you, you like go, do you go first i'll go well why don't i go first yes and then um I mean, I think you probably you've used one word, which makes me think you probably do know which one of the, <laughs> one of the Hellraiser sequels I'm going to recommend. Now, a, a strong caveat: it's not a great Hellraiser film. Correct. But it is a it is a really fun film, and I think because it's like so many films, uh, like so many sequels, especially to genre films, it wasn't written as part of this franchise. Yeah. And New Line co-opted it. I think they had the rights to it, and then they were like oh, we could just do this as a Hellraiser film and then it'll yeah. have a built-in audience. Yeah, yeah. I won't say which franchise, but I recently worked on a film that's going to now be marketed as a reboot of a horror franchise. Ah, uh, yes. But it was not intended to be that. I know the one and um, I'm not going to say either. Yeah, I'm not allowed to say. But but, <laughs> but I think these these decisions happen all the time. One, of, I think the first one I was ever aware of was uh, Die Hard 2. Right. Which wasn't written as a Die Hard movie. Mm. And they're like, but, right? Hear me out. Snow, cable knit jumpers, John McClane. <laughs> and it became a Die Hard movie. They, they went, okay, well, yeah, we'll do it as a Die Hard movie. So Hellraiser Inferno uh, from 2000 is a grubby noir horror, supernatural noir horror, which I think stands up on its own. It's a little cheap. It's got a slightly TV movie feel to it, which I think is probably due to how they made it, like the budget and stuff. But it's got some... Nice connections to the Barker world, other than being a shoehorn. It's got Craig Sheffer in it, who mm-hmm. obviously from Nightbreed, mm-hmm. which is pretty great. But then also, um, it was written by the guys who did uh, Sinister. Yeah, it was and Scott it, Derrickson, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Scott Derrickson, who directed it as well. Mm-hmm. And then also, I think he directed, he directed Doctor Strange, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's. I mean, the thing is... I there's probably a film you can edit out of that film that doesn't have any Hellraiser stuff in it. Oh, there definitely and is. And is a yeah. tighter film. The, the problem will be things like the Levant configuration. The scenes with Pinhead, with Doug Bradley as Pinhead in them, they could be excised relatively easily. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or, or Doug Bradley could be framed out. <laughs> but but the stuff with the Levant configuration would be harder to take out of the film without damaging the structure of the story. Sure. But, yeah, I think it's a really solid little supernatural horror film. Yeah, I really like I it. I really like it. I was very pleasantly surprised by it. It's a hell of a lot better than Hellraiser 3. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. And yeah, it kind of uh, very current, the whole sort of turning a, a, a sequel or turning another movie into a sequel within oh, a, a yeah, franchise. Oh, yeah, Cloverfield just did it again. But the last yeah. one was... Yeah, yeah 10 well, Cloverfield Lane um, was... Uh, apparently, the original script was a lot more... I don't know how much detail can... In fact, I'm going to go into no detail because I'm not sure if I should know this, but it was a lot more fucked up, basically, 10 Cloverfield Lane, um, before yeah. it was changed. I was about to um, I was about to say, oh, I've heard that, but then I think I probably just heard it from you. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, but, you know, uh, I actually really like the Cloverfield Paradox. You haven't seen it yet, but um, a lot of people hate it online. I but, was um, having a text conversation with a friend this morning who watched it 
uh, hungover. He's in a different time zone. His morning, this morning. Uh, and I said, oh, what did you think about it? And his one word answer was just avoid. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it, man. And And like, you know... But then I like a lot of TV movies, and that's what it reminds me of. Yeah, um, very, well, very much I like so. TV um, like you know, movies like Satan's Triangle, where it makes no sense, <laughs> but there's some really cool, creepy moments, and some weird images, and some like whoa moments, and kind of you know, it's weird. I, I think. With films that I've got higher expectations from, like a lack of like internal logic and any sense of understanding the science that they're dealing with um, would normally really annoy me. But for some reason with Cloverfield Paradox, because they didn't really... It, nothing no marketing, really, it just turned up. Nothing really paid off um, uh, in, term, in, in logic terms. Oh, right, okay. Um, but it meant that I was consistently surprised because I couldn't predict what was coming next because it didn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. Um, well, we've talked about this with, like, the Korean genre, but jumping stuff, and yeah. Jen, uh, my wife, and I had a conversation about the Dirk Gently TV series that covered pretty much this ground where because it's meant it's based on happen chance and, and randomness, it's much harder to predict because they just pull events out of their arse. Yeah, and that's it. It's quite it's, enjoyable. And it's all, you know, like, you know, to, to continue with the example of Satan's Triangle, it's all to build to a twist that they've decided on um, ahead of time. And as long as they get there, it doesn't really matter. And yeah, uh, I won't say much more than that because I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't yet watched it and might think they might not hate it. Um, I really liked it. But anyway... I'm gonna, I'd probably give it a watch. That's not my recommendation for Hellraiser. <laughs> um, <laughs> that would be my recommendation for Event Horizon, which is very influenced by Hellraiser. Oh, yeah. Um, but no... Uh, can, I, can I say my Event Horizon thing? Yeah, go. So uh, I think everyone should double bill Event Horizon with Steven Soderbergh's remake of Solaris. Yes. Because they are the same print, the same narrative principle mm. filtered through different genres. Well, you look at the jumping off point. If you summarise mm. the first act of each film, they're basically the same movie. Yeah. The characters have the same wants and needs. The characters have the same backstory. Mm. And then they just get treated very differently by the world. Yes. And I, I would... I love both of those films. And I'd suggest that you double bill uh, Tarkovsky's Solaris with Tarkovsky Solaris, because it's so good. You just, just watch, watch it, it twice. twice. It's, it's, a, it's a quick watch. Yeah. It's, it's a, <laughs> brevity in all things. Oh, yes. Mr. Oh, Tarkovsky. Yes. Yeah, so uh, my recommendation for Hellraiser, my first recommendation, is the aforementioned Nightbreed, which is still, I think, weirdly underrated, maybe. Like, I, I don't think it has the sort of general audience um uh, awareness uh i don't think they're as aware of it as they are with stuff like hellraiser um but it is one of my favorite i love monsters i love monster movies and this is one of the ultimate monster movies basically yeah. um like dan said you know it's got so many individually designed monsters um each one is as sort of lovingly crafted as the last 
And one of the best monsters in it is uh, David Cronenberg, who doesn't have any prosthetics stuff, just a cool mask. Is that a spoiler? Yes, it is. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but he is fucking amazing in it. Um, so that, creepy. That kitchen and, murder with the grapefruit. Oh my god! Is just spectacular isn't it yeah it's so so good no one in this country has done a decent release of it there's a good is it who did the is it screen factory Factory, i think i think it is yeah Yeah, there's an amazing screen factory um us disc which i've got but um i would love someone please arrow please do us a nightbreed (laughs) i would love it so much Um, is it a seven hour documentary about nightbreed do you want that on there as extra features yes please (laughs) i would watch that twice yeah (laughs) um so what's your next recommendation dan uh so my next recommendation is a 1981 eric weston demonic summoning movie Nice. It was one of the old video nasties oh, back yeah. in the day. I, th- I think I'm pretty sure it was. Evil Speak. Ah, uh, yes. Um, Evil Speak was one of those fun ones where I knew nothing about it, and I'd, do- I'd done all the big names of the nasties, and I was working my way through what I could get hold of on VHS, uh, and I stumbled across Evil Speak. Uh, it's really fun. <laughs> it's um, Clint Howard stars. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Clint Howard, the like. The, one of the ultimate oh that guy actors yeah Ron Howard's brother yeah Ron is, Howard's brother is, in, is it all of Ron Howard's movies I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's in every single one yeah. he's definitely very very present in a, like very commonly in them. yes yeah yeah he's it, it's it's really good fun he's a he's at military school uh, and everyone bullies him so he uses a computer to summon summon a demon and I guess a computer's kind of like the lament configuration in this narrative uh, it's a, it's a, he uses it as a portal he's able to open up uh open up a portal there's a lot of flying around there's a lot of pigs there's a lot of people getting their heads cut off with swords I mean so many of these things are Dan's favourite so many things are my favourite thing <laughs> yeah it's really fun it's not as tight as Hellraiser uh, it's not as well structured as Hellraiser what is no well exactly but if we were only recommending films that were as good as Hellraiser then we'd only be recommending like, well Hellraiser really I think yeah. in this within its within its arena it's definitely the best yes but yeah no Evil Speak's really really good fun if you haven't seen it check it out yeah, great. My next recommendation is going to be another Clive Barker story. Um, this one not directed by him. Obviously, he directed Nightbreed as well. Candyman. Uh, oh, now, just wonderful. A lot of people who have seen Hellraiser will have seen Candyman, I would imagine. But again, just in case there's anyone out there who hasn't yet seen it, um, it is a masterpiece. The soundtrack is incredible. The performances our next level um the direction the script everything about it is just cinematic perfection yeah it's incredible i love it so so much and you know in terms of sort of the themes it deals with it's very still very very interesting in terms of um kind of colonialism and and race and you know um there's great gender stuff in there as well um it's just such a good film. Uh, I won't say much more about it, just in case you haven't um, oh, yeah, seen it. For a treat. If you have seen it, you don't need me banging on about it. You know how good it is. But yeah, for the one person out there who hasn't seen it, go watch Candyman. I was uh, I was driving home from my workshop in Croydon uh, last summer when it was all hot and I had to have my windows open with the Candyman soundtrack blaring. Nice. Uh, and I stopped at some traffic lights in Croydon and got some very peculiar looks from people so good. wondering why I was listening to Philip Glass's hooting soundtrack <laughs> it's absolutely wonderful oh great very i was um i think i was either 12 or 13 when i bought that on vhs 
Well, yeah. well, well done, WH Smiths. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that BBFC rating system really working. <laughs> and um, and I was uh, I was away from home at school at the time, and I my bed. Uh, in my dormitory was an inch higher than everyone else's bed because my under my mattress was a layer of VHS tapes. It's where I kept all my horror horror movies. Candyman was relatively early in that in that edition. It was mm. a, like a you know a legitimate purchase. I watched it a lot, but the first time I watched it was uh, I visited a friend's house for the weekend. His parents were away. They had a massive TV, uh, and we put it on. And the wall behind the TV was a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> which added a beautiful level of terror to that film amazing um right <laughs> should we go into recommendations based on the last couple of weeks yeah absolutely Dan, what have you got uh i revisited an animated feature from 2012 uh it's only about 70 minutes long it's quite a quick watch a lot of the uh, a lot of the japanese animated features are, are quite short it's my second favorite junji ito adaptation the only animated one I've ever seen. It's called Gyo, Tokyo Fish Attack. Oh, yes. Um, I love the comics that this is based on, the manga. They've made some pretty interesting decisions when they veer from the manga, as they did with my favourite one, Azamaki. But um, in this instance, it's not because the comics weren't finished, and so it had to sort of make up its own ending. Uh, in this, they've just added some very weird extra stuff. But it's absolutely great fun. It's a sci-fi horror it actually reminds me a lot in its in its sort of principle of um, hardware, the uh, the idea of these thought to be defunct. I mean, it's not set in a dystopia per mm. se, but uh, the idea of these just these uh, derelict military machines, sort of se- seemingly forgotten. In this case, dropped from a ship overside, coming back to to mess everything up. Yeah, it's. I don't really want to say anything about it. It's it's absolutely bananas. It's got some weird sex scenes in it that aren't in the comics. That's one of the main things they've added. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are a bit peculiar. Yeah. But the film itself is great fun. Cool. Excellent. Yeah. Um, it's well, got, uh, got walking fish in it. I mean, what, what more do you need? My first recommendation based on the past couple of weeks is Tower of Seven Hunchbacks um, from 1944. Uh, have you seen this one? I haven't, no. It is uh, a Spanish film uh, from a director called Edgar Neville. Um, that's very, very influenced by um, some of the kind of silent movies that I love. Yeah, it's it's basically set in Madrid in the 19th century and uh, kind of quite a fun uh, young man who has a slightly Buster Keaton quality to him. Um, and basically, it sort of starts with him, uh, our lead, Basilo, going gambling, and he is sort of greeted by... Uh, a weird apparition that only he can see who kind of helps him gamble um, and helps him win. And th- this guy, the, the apparition looks very sort of like Dr. Mabuse, very kind of very silent Fritz Lang styling to him. And uh, yeah, he, uh, he, he wins uh, and realizes that he's entered into a quite a weird bargain with this guy in the process. And this is all in the very early stages of the film, so I won't spoil any more than that because it goes in a lot of very unexpected directions. It's just a a lovely, lovely film and has um, one of the best exit scenes in cinema history. (laughs) Um, I won't say more than that. It's probably quite hard to track down, but if you can find it, um, yeah, Tower of Seven Hunchbacks. Nice. Next. 1959, The Stranglers of Bombay. Hammer production, black and white Hammer production, uh, directed by Terence Fisher, who did mm-hmm. the Mummy, 
uh, among other things. Uh, Curse of the Wolf as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Love a Rude Wolf movie. It's interesting. It's uh, It's got quite a progressive attitude towards the British colonialism that it's covering. On IMDb, it's listed as a history film. Mm. <laughs> And it, it, you know, it's not getting everything right. Obviously, it's it is of its era, mm. um, but there's a fantastic uh, monologue in it uh, where the the main guy is a like is a higher up in the East India Trading Company, who are essentially Britain's financial interest out in India when mm. we were busy just stealing everything over there, and he is basically being told to to leave it alone with these uh, investigations he's doing, which were initially sanctioned by the. East India Company. The, 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 the basic plot is um, there's a cult um, of the Thuggee who are, who are a Kali-worshipping uh, cult uh, and they're causing all sorts of trouble for the East We've India Company. We've all seen Temple of Doom. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, same sort of, sort of the same lot. <laughs> <laughs> Similarly uh, respectful of, of the culture they're referencing, I think. But, um, yeah, so they're, yeah, this, uh, this character... He says, uh, look, too many people, are, too much stuff is being stolen, too many people are going missing, something's up, we should investigate it. Uh, and the East India Company are like, all right, off you go, you, you do it. Um, so he sets off and is, starts to be like shut up by someone who thinks they know better than him. Uh, and he sort of protests against it, even uh, quitting, rage quitting at one point. But, um, but he, does a, he has a fantastic uh, monologue against his boss, who's basically telling him to leave it alone. Uh, reprimanding him for not caring about the Indian people, which they profess to do, but only caring about the financial interests of the company. He says, you, you've been here for X years. You've done nothing to actually improve the state of India. Or, you know, the only reason we're even looking into this is because it affects the company's bottom line. And it's, uh, yeah, even from as early as 59, it's quite interesting to hear this sort of like anti-colonialist stance making it through. Uh, it reminds me of a tweet I saw recently where someone had said, um, why is so much of Hollywood... Uh, liberal left uh, and I can't remember who responded but they said it's because it's kind of hard to tell stories where you care about the people involved when you don't fucking care about people mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and it's it's interesting yeah it's a it's a it's well worth tracking out I'd not seen it before it was mm. it was a first watch for me yeah um, so sounds... digging through some of the slightly less common ha- hammers yeah sounds... that was really fun sounds very interesting my final recommendation based on the past couple of weeks is uh, a three and a half hour uh, Russian film by a director we have talked about in this very podcast, um, by Andrei Tarkovsky. The film is Andrei Rublev from 1966. Now, this is a film that I watch once or twice a year, believe it or not. This is um, why you're tired. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it probably is. And now, uh, you know, you might think that uh, a film about the life and times of a, a, a 15th century Russian iconographer might not be for you. Um, <laughs> and to be honest, there's a good chance it isn't. However, last year I went to see it at the Prince Charles Cinema as part of their Tarkovsky season um, last January. Um, and I, I watched Ivan's Childhood there in a sort of not very busy screen. Um, and, you know, for... For Tarkovsky, Ivan's childhood is, you know, that's the the back to the future of his films, really. It's the most um, <laughs> accessible and, and all the rest of it and, and brief. Um, so I went along to Andre Rublev expecting a similar situation, but it was sold out. Really? And it was one of the best cinematic experiences I've ever had. Like, packed out screen yeah. for this three and a half an hour visual poem. Um 
yeah, it's uh, it's quite hard to describe. Um, I got this script um, from my family for Christmas, actually, and uh, it's more of a novel than a script. It really is. It's like it's, it's written as a novel, basically. It, it's uh, the the attention to the visual poetics um, that, that Tarkovsky pays is, is quite obsessive. Um, but it really shows in the film and like all of Tarkovsky's stuff it's got a very unique atmosphere it's unlike anything else you'll see and if you haven't taken the risk uh, I know it's an investment of time but it will transport you to another dimension um, it is such a beautiful film so Andre Rublev please watch it if you haven't seen it and you know you can complain to me on Twitter if you don't like it that's fine <laughs> I'll just block you <laughs> they can only complain now that they've increased the character limit though <laughs> you can't you can't send a short tweet about andre Rivlev. yeah exactly that's or amazing. anything tarkovsky yeah exactly uh amazing right so shall we go into extra features extra features extra features extra features so yes you're right to put a question mark at the end of that because do we have an extra feature this week as it turns out we do so I spoke to Ruth Wilson very recently about uh, her film Dark River, which Arrow Films are releasing. Dark River is um, a very sort of intense, very um, powerful drama uh, about a, a woman who returns to her childhood home after a long uh, gap, um, after the death of her father and She's there to sort of see her brother uh, uh, who, who's running the family farm and to sort of, you know, try and help out and sort of make things right. Uh, there are elements I'm leaving out of this description because, you know, it's something to discover as you go along with the film. But um, one thing that, that is sort of non-spoilery that I spoke to Ruth Wilson about was the preparation that she did for the role. So um, here's Ruth Wilson talking about what it takes to uh, look like you know what you're doing on a farm. Good, thank you. Um, and you did a lot of pretty dark preparation, like it, yeah. it, obviously the, with the therapy and, and yeah. speaking to people, but actually in terms of working on a farm and killing rats and, you know, skinning rabbits I mean, and all that, of that business, it was how was that? It was, um, it was really interesting. I didn't really think about this during it because I just had to do it, but um, yeah. I've thought about it since as like... It was part of the piece in a way. Again, Alice had to be so um, at one with that stuff and that was mm. almost her control and the way that she survived her trauma in a way was kind of managing the like the violence of nature as well, you know, mm -hmm. and being at one with it and being able to manage it and, mm. and not... I mean, when I was on a farm training, I went up and for three weeks on a farm to train and the brutality every day that was mm. going on a farm, like whether a sheep had broken its leg or the farmer had to lance like a massive boil on this little um uh it's like you and i mean stuff every day was mm. going on that you just up in our lovely cozy homes we don't deal with we mm. don't have any mm -hmm. idea of so it was it was like death and um, brutality and violence mm. every day on a farm. Mm. So I think I just had to f grow some balls and like deal with it, <laughs> and um, castrated some lambs. Oh, talking God, of balls, <laughs> um, 
<laughs> and I had to do, you know, it's all sorts of things I was doing. I was like, oh my god, and, and even shearing a sheep, you know, like you don't want to nick the sheep. Yeah, of course. Like, it must so be scary. scared of cutting it. Yeah. And, and these things are—they're aggressive and they're stubborn and they don't yeah. want to be pinned down to the floor or yeah, they don't yeah. want their—they don't want their like their fur taken off. <laughs> was um, very like intense, but. I'm, I had to do it because I had to get on top of it and I just had to swallow and get on which is what she's doing actually mm. she's almost swallowing her trauma she's keeping it down and mm. just putting a brave face and everything mm. and that's kind of what I had to do mm. doing all that stuff mm. it was you know I was not in my comfort zone that was amazing Ruth was just uh, I had 20 minutes with her and it went by like it was 30 seconds she is such an amazing interesting person and the film's really good uh, I recommend it I think it's out maybe when this goes out who knows but just check your local cinema listings we'll and, tweet um, as well I guess yeah we'll tweet as well and if you want to hear more from Ruth uh, there will be pieces on Yahoo Movies UK presumably by the time this goes out and I'll have linked to them on Twitter I'm sure so um, yes Dan that's it isn't it that's it that's everything we're out I feel like I've waffled on more than usual so do you want a, a little space to just to talk, vent talk nonsense <laughs> what can I what can I talk about yeah. this is exciting just just random things yeah I don't know. I've done a bit of decorating recently. That's Have very you interesting. indeed? Uh, no, I think we're probably good. Let's wrap this up. We've got another one to record today. Do you have <laughs> uh, you, you have a, a, a competition though? Don't you? Oh, are we doing that? I, I, oh, fine. Yeah, okay. Uh, I haven't prepared. I'm going to do. You know what? No, no, I haven't. <laughs> we're not doing a competition. But next time, oh, okay, we will be doing a competition. So uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I did a spur of the moment thing. Uh, last time we talked uh, briefly about the posters in my kitchen. Yes, these Italian posters, not all for Italian films. Uh, at the time, they were in Terrorbang. What are those strange drops of blood doing on Jennifer's body? And uh, what was the last one? The Man of the Streets Does Justice, Lindsay. And I said I'd put up pictures of them. Uh, between then and now, I've changed those posters. The, the, the frames are designed to be interchangeable. So I've got this big um, portfolio case of these tall, like letterbox, uh, in, on its side, letterbox format uh, Italian posters. Uh, and I changed them, changed them around every now and then. Since then, I did, and I invited people to guess uh, with a series of awful clues what I might have on the wall I, I in mean, the kitchen. Define clues because um, they confused me more than. So the clues were, and in fact, actually, it'll all be done by now, so I can say what the films are. Right, cool. Um, but so the clues were, and actually, have you been? You haven't been around. You haven't seen them, have you? So you don't necessarily know. So no. let's just play this game then. I'll, I'll describe the films, and you Dan, can try I, I... not hard. Don't worry about it. it doesn't matter. <laughs> Uh, to get, see if you can guess them. Just basically tell me if I'm being an ass by giving terrible clues. Okay. Right? So I said, uh, there are three films. They're all Italian posters, but two of them are Italian films. One of them is a French film. Mm -hmm. One of the films has been released by Arrow. Mm -hmm. Two of them are not currently available in the UK. One of them has an imminent release set for it. Two of the posters share an artist. Uh, like a, the actual artwork on the posters is by the same artist. They are from 19... Uh, I might get this very slightly wrong off the top of my head. 1967, 1977 and 19... Uh, 1976 and 
Can you guess what those three films are? It's like a game of Mastermind. We've had someone got two of them. Oh, did they? So far. I mean, by the time this goes out, either someone will have guessed three of them or I'll have just said and no one wins. But I'm giving away, I, I gave away, or maybe I will have given away, uh, a copy of Vincent Price's Lifecast. Yeah, I wonder if people think that you're joking about that. Because no, that no, I'm is dead quite, serious. Because that is quite an incredible thing to give away. No, but, I'm dead serious. Um, and, is, then, yeah. and I'll be giving away a different Lifecast. I haven't decided who yet. Next time. Uh, which gives me like 45 minutes to decide because we're going to go straight into recording the next one. But Yes. Um, can, you, can you, do you have any I idea? I can't, no. Those, are, those clues, are, you know, partly because I'm so tired and partly because <laughs> they've, they've come from you, I feel a little bit like, you know, I'm someone's trying to keep me trapped in the labyrinth. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I zoned uh, out halfway through. Um, but someone, some bright spark out there so will, Dave, will get them. Dave Hall got two of them. Yeah. So Dave Hall correctly guessed Death Laid an Egg. Oh, I also said one of them's a giallo and one of them's sort of a giallo. Right. So Death Laid an Egg is the giallo. Mm-hmm. Set, not currently available in the UK, but has an imminent release scheduled. Mm-hmm. Uh, buh, 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 buh. and is the one that doesn't share an artist with the other two mm-hmm. and is the 1960s one and that's the one I was unsure about the, the year of the one released by Arrow is La Bette uh-huh. which is available in the UK obviously because Arrow put it out and is not a giallo mm-hmm. and the poster artist uh, whose name I can't remember it's one word uh, is the same as the artist for Bestialita mm-hmm. which is sort of a giallo isn't available in the UK and uh, is from seventy. <laughs> well, <laughs> so there you right. go. Yeah, That's, and uh, hopefully someone will have guessed. But if they haven't, I mean, it doesn't. It, it can doesn't roll matter. over. We'll roll over. Yeah, great. Uh, it's not going to roll over. You only, you only ever get one life cast. But uh, we'll see who we do for next time. Speaking of next time, we should let you know the film we're going to be watching. Good call. Uh, it is Death Walks on High Heels. Yes. Um, Luciano Accoli. Yes. Spoiler Acoli. alert. Spoiler alert slash tease for next time. I hated it. Really? Yeah. So. Oh, um, man. This we'll, is going to be fun. We'll talk about that uh, in a bit here, but in a couple of weeks for you. So uh, do come back for that. Right. Oh. Twitters. Uh, I am at 13fingerfx. Yes, I am at Sam Ashurst, S-A-M-A-S-H-U-R-S-T. And on Instagram, I am the same, but with a 23 at the end. No, at Sam Ashurst, yeah. 23. So, What's uh, our email address? I don't know, Dan. What's our email address? Arrow podcast video at arrowfilms.co.uk. Fabulous. I mean, the thing is, if you get the website right and just do an app, it'll get through them to them. Some poor sucker will have to filter it. It'll just take a bit longer to get to us. It won't be automatically forwarded to us, I guess. Yeah. Arrow will get I to I mean, I, I feel like we should start to phase out these pushes to the emails because we never get any, and it's a waste of our well, I think breath. it might be because we, A, never say it, and B, on the rare instances say it every that we time do say it. Now. And on the rare instances that we do say it, we say it in the most garbled and inaccurate fashion possible. I'm going to see if I can look it up. I mean, maybe, like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start, or someone, not us, is going to start putting the email address in the description of the episode um, with a little thing to say, you can email us literally whatever you want, whether it's recommendations to watch films that you love or, you know, stuff you want to say about films we've covered or even if you want to correct mistakes that we've made. Um, Whatever it is, we'll read it out on the show. Um, And that's pretty much it, right? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Great. Do that. All right, so thanks for listening, and we promise 
promise, promise, promise to be more professional next time. We do. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.